What I've learned is that no matter how much someone has hurt you or betrayed you, or how much it seems that someone is evil, at their core, everyone is worth saving. I'm Chris Bybee. And I'm Eddie Webb. And today on Genreless, we talk about Smallville. Ville, 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 Ville. So we got a lot of requests for us to talk about Smallville from when we first dropped the first episode of the podcast talking about Star Trek. We had people like tweeting at us at the non-existent journalist account at the time saying, hey, why don't you guys do Smallville? And we're like, we're doing space opera. But people were like, tell us about the show that started the Arrowverse. And Andy was like, why don't we just drop this whole space opera thing? We don't do anime. We just do an entire podcast about Smallville. One episode per episode. For the oh entire God. run, all the way through all 10 seasons. And then we go into the comic book that's season 11. Oh my God. But I, dear listener, said, Nay, we shall not bog these people down with that. But then I thought to myself, we could at least do one episode of The Torture People. In true comic book fashion, I love this parallel world you're creating. <laughs> this exists in. <laughs> this is Earth 42. Nice, nice. Because we don't have multiverses in the DC, we have a, we have different Earths for people that are right, we're occasionally DC, we're no longer doing Marvel. <laughs> and occasionally, if we really need a reboot, we'll just have a crisis. Oh Jesus! I had a crisis during watching this, so I think that works out well. <laughs> so, in case people haven't guessed, the uh, the next part of our ongoing superhero narrative is going to be the Arrowverse, and. Mm-hmm. We could have started with Arrow, and Andy was excited right. to start with Arrow. And then I threw him a mm-hmm. curveball saying, but wait, the Arrowverse has linked itself back to The Flash, Constantine, and the show that birthed and maintained, sorry, the show that maintained a network and birthed the Arrowverse, Smallville. Mm-hmm. So here we and, are. I mean, I, I, I do think it's worthwhile to start with this also because oh. in a lot of ways, Arrow and the subsequent shows were an attempt to try to recapture what Smallville had, right? It's like Smallville had 10 seasons. Um, So a lot of it was the CW going, we want to do that again. So it makes sense to kind of start with which the show that actually set this standard of DC shows are a thing that's on TV for pretty much all of the 21st century. And it's sort of what sustained the WB, I think, that then became whatever it is now. The WB became something else, and then it became the CW. I think it's how it turned out. Yeah. And now CW is something else, I think. Funnily enough, though, that one of the people that was almost Clark Kent, not Superman, Clark Kent, was uh, Denson Eccles of Smallville fame. Oh. No, sorry, of Supernatural fame. Oh, Okay. But it didn't work out. So he went on to another show that sustained the network for, I think, a 15-year series run. Yeah, there was definitely this... We talked about this a little bit during uh, Star Trek in the 90s, but when Star Trek became popular, this idea of shows that were made by network but ultimately geared for syndication and specifically genre shows being something that was relatively cheap but also something that could be sustained 
something that around around this time, 2001, became really popular. Um, Buffy had also just become very popular at this point. So the idea of, oh, we, we can make these shows on these newer networks that are coming up, and they'll have an engaged audience that will continually watch them, which will sustain us through. And so the, it's, this, it's this really amazing time where, you know, uh, now we're looking at, I guess, Smallville, um, you, you, know, you mentioned all those, like, Supernatural whatnot. And the idea that th- they were expecting to get like two or three seasons and double digit seasons are not unusual for this era of television. Um, so it, it, it's a pretty wild time. Like Stargate, for example, Stargate went on for a really long time as well. Um, so it, w- it it's this strange kind of peak era of genre television, <clears throat> but it's not generally viewed well. Because a lot of people looking back, I was like, oh, that was kind of, you know, disposable television. But they were built more like soap operas than they were built like prestige television now. Well, another large part of it is we have to look at the shows that we had the option of watching back then. And mm-hmm. there weren't, there wasn't the, I'll say it now, like the glut of superhero and general geeky-esque genre TV shows as there are now. Back then you had Smallville. Mm-hmm. And eventually, that came after. Well, the Flash technically came before Smallville, but the Flash yep. wasn't successful. I think it ran like a season, maybe it did. two at extreme most. And there were like fledgling footsteps to create this thing that we got. And soap operas of themselves are built inherently to be addictive TV watching. Because soap operas, yep. when they ran, would usually run every day until mm-hmm. of, of late, where where the ability to watch anything on YouTube and just digital access sort of kill the soap operas. Mm-hmm. And following that similar format, but just adding on like a small, small layer of superpowers was a brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, 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 it um, brought two diverse audiences together. And I think that's, I'm going to have thoughts about Smallville, but I mean, at the end of the day, they clearly had something. I think that was because they brought in the audience who were interested in kind of primetime soap opera watching because there really wasn't many of them in the early 2000s at that point in time. Um, you know, the, the days of, of Falcon Crest and Dallas and whatnot, they're pretty much gone. Combined with an audience that was hungry for anything that looked like a superhero show because full-fledged superhero shows were just a little too expensive to make. And we're hitting a point where they've gotten a bit cheaper, but also Smallville has a conceit where they don't show up very often. So it allows them to, to, to really manage their finances to make a extremely cheap show that as it got more popular, they got more budget and they can lean into it more. And then near the end, some people have argued that it kind of hit the logical outgrowth of it because it was never been, it was a concept was never supposed to go 10 seasons, right? It was supposed to go like a couple seasons and be done. Uh, so it, it, it's this weird kind of catch 22 of it became a victim of its own success, but it really showed, like you said, like oh, there, there's an audience that is really excited about this. And then so Arrow is going to be looking back to this and also shows like uh, Lois and Clark. Um, but it's like, how can we take these shows that were so addictive at the time and build them up to modern television standards at the time, 2010? And part of it was the cast and when it aired and how it hooked people. Because even Smallville tried to have various spinoff shows. It never went anywhere, for instance, in later seasons. I'll spoil a little bit because uh, I don't know about 80, but we are never coming back to Smallville after today. We're like, done. 
But they tried to have other spinoffs because they had people like Green Arrow show up and they had Aquaman. They had their own version of Cyborg and they were trying to like, there's even an Aquaman pilot. I think if you look around the line, you can find. And mm-hmm. funnily enough, though, the guy that plays Aquaman is also the guy that played Gov and Hawking Dove and Titans and is now, I want to say, Reacher on Amazon Prime. Oh, wow. He's like, nice. felt like a football player. <laughs> like, <boop. clears throat> But all of those didn't go anywhere because it didn't have the magic that they captured in Smallville that they developed and scoped out. And having said all those great things, before we can really go anything else, I do need to bring up about the problematic aspects of Allison Mack, a.k.a. Chloe Sullivan. Okay. I don't know if you know this or not. No. I'm only tangentially aware of it, but Chloe Sullivan, uh, Allison Mack at some point in time, joined almost a, a cult and is now in prison for sex trafficking and wow. racketeering and a slew of other things. And she fell into that, I want to say, or in, while making Smallville, I think, somewhere along the way. And eventually it sort of branched out. And I don't even remember what they're called, but she also married Kaylee from Battlestar to try to get around the U.S. Uh, immigration laws. And Kaylee is also a member of the same cult. <laughs> oh, jeez! And it's it is an entire thing that I do not know enough to speak about. But it is something that if we're talking about Smallville, we need to mention because that happened as of I want to say she went to prison in twenty twenty one. Okay. So it is very recent. Wow! I had no clue. That's so. That's yeah. a lot. <laughs> Because one, one of the things about the show is when since Andy and I sort of bounce back and forth who is the primary lead of the show, the other person is obligated to do at least five minutes of Google searching. And as this is, is my show, I decided that I would do six minutes of Google searching. And I, I stumbled over that. Oh, no. Six minutes. What have we done? So, you know, we're, we're professionals here on, on television. <laughs> Any other thoughts uh, about the cast or anything before I, I move on into uh, a new segment just for this episode to start off the Arrowverse? No, let's go ahead and go into the new segment. As the Netiverse focused more on grounding the characters and trying to like make them more realistic while not really going to the superhero elements, the Arrowverse sort of starts with that, but it quickly spirals into full-blown superhero-ness and all the shenanigans right. and nonsense. And I felt that before we could really go into it, we need to at least touch on the different errors of comics. And this is a very divisive area where some people say there's only four comic book errors, some errors, some people say there are 10 comic book ages, and you could have like a Copper Age, the Silver Age, the Diamond Age. But for us, and if Eddie agrees, I want to keep it to just five. Equivalently, the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Modern Age, and what we're going to call the Digital Age. Mm-hmm. And the golden age is when you first get character. That's where Superman first appeared. The comics themselves were, how will I want to put this? They were written simply aimed at kids, but they were dealt with c- complex issues. Just bluntly Superman went out and fought corrupt landlords, the mob and did all those amazing things because comics aren't political. So of course, he didn't stop bad congressmen, didn't stop right. abusers as his main run. But 
And then we go into the Silver Age in uh, Comic Book Code Authority, where comics in had to be a lot sillier, and they couldn't mm -hmm. deal with those topics. And that, like, broke almost a lot of the industry. And the comics themselves shifted from a more magical base focus for a lot of characters to a more science alien based focus. This is also where Superman got more of his history established. And you'd learn more about Krypton and all these other things. And you get Batman. I'm sorry, Batman's from the Golden Age, but you get more about his tech and everything else. And Batman goes into space and fights aliens. Batman fights aliens. Oh, yeah. Something to think about. Then we transition to the Bronze Age, which is one of my favorite ages, where we start addressing more complex moral societal issues. And that's like just denoted by Eddie may have heard of this run before, but it's about Green Arrow and Green Lantern traveling around together, dealing with really? issues. Really? I don't, it doesn't ring a bell. No, I don't think I, I talked about that ever. <laughs> okay. But it, it, it could be due to Daniel O'Neill and some other things. And that window was about 15 years, I want to say. And then we transition to more of the modern age where stories get somewhat darker and they get more complex and they still touch on those same subjects. And in my opinion, then we transition to the digital age, which is more around 2010s where things shift yet again and comics become more movie focused. And then the movie, then the comics themselves reflect it in the movies and the movies reflect in the comics and no age is a solid deadline of years or anything. And it's yeah. more of a personal opinion and people kind of agree in small groups consensus. Yeah, I mean, for me, the the goalposts, which are, I mean, I think these, these are good breakdowns. Uh, but for me, they're a little more event-focused, like you said. I think the Golden Age ends, begins with uh, Creation of Superman, ends with the Comic Code Authority being established. Uh, I think it's absolutely right. And, that's, and, and you're right, that's, about, that's almost 30 years. A lot of people don't realize how long the Golden Age really is. It's yeah. because when Superman became popular, a lot of companies tried to make their own superheroes, and a lot of them came and went before we get the superheroes that we recognize today. So... Although, for every, funnily enough, oh, go ahead. just because this directly relates to that, the reason that some of them didn't work is because the more established company co ah, comic companies crushed them. Like, for instance, Atlas Comics had Captain Marvel that was outselling Superman. Yep. And DC Comics then sued Atlas for having a character that was too close to them and DC won. Yep. Then... So, uh, so Silver Age is kind of the comics code being established to the point where the comics code starts to loosen its reins, particularly around the presentation of the supernatural. Um, so vampires are now allowed, werewolves are allowed, showing magic is allowed, as long as these creatures are defeated. But defeated becomes a very loose definition, and so we can have entire runs like the Tomb of Dracula, where Dracula is clearly the main character, but he gets quote unquote, defeated every once in a while. So the 70s, like I said, uh, that's kind of where we have all the runs. So around 85, because really Watchmen, uh, I, I, I hate to have my answer to a specific comic, but really the Watchmen starts to show that you can do actual meaningful conversations in comics. Uh, and that shifts to the modern age. And so around 2010, I think it's about right, but there's a point where comics... The, the actual magazines stop being the primary reason to create comics. And then you have this concept called writing for the trade, where basically you, you are, every storyline is four to six issues in length. And sometimes the middle issues don't make a ton of sense in isolation anymore because the goal isn't to make an, each individual issue interesting. The goal is to have them compiled into a nice 100 to 130 page book that they can then sell later. 
Um, and that's where we're at now is a lot of comics are very much, like you said, they're written to uh, sell books down the line. Uh, they're written to eventually become movie properties. Uh, that doesn't mean that there are not good comics being made. There absolutely are. Uh, there's some fantastic comics being made right now, but with a few exceptions like 2000 AD, most comics are being written in a very different style than they were in the modern age of 85 to around 2010. So yeah, I think the people can quibble about the years. I don't think the years are as meaningful as events. And I think, but I think this breakdown is a pretty accurate of the most common way most people perceive comics. And we felt it's important enough to at least touch on this, to give people sort of points of reference to work from in case I'm not going to say that we may geek out into my niche somewhere along the way, but oh yeah, eh, you could probably rest assured. And I want it. We want to make sure that you have something to like base them off of. If we reference back to like the Golden Age, how it had Alan Scott Green Lantern, who had a, a Green Lantern ring was worked by magic, things right. like that, compared to John Stewart's magic ring, which is alien technology. And it makes more sense to talk about it here when these DC based shows because. DC comics, you can you can read a random issue of DC comics and have a pretty good idea what era it's in. Marvel's much muddier. Uh, there's a lot more blurring because Marv, all of Marvel continuity is set in this rough, the same rough 20 years, effectively, because characters don't really age. Whereas you've talked before, DC much more legacy. Like, you know, there are several Green Lanterns. And which Green Lantern is prominent can give you a good idea of what era you're in. Um, so yeah, uh, Alan Scott is a very specific era of Green Lantern. Hal Jordan is a very specific era of Green Lantern. Kyle Rayner is a very specific era of Green Lantern. So, and they very, very roughly map to these eras in a lot of ways, but even characters like Superman, even though it's the same person, Clark Kent throughout what Superman does and how he acts is very different depending on which era he's being written in. And so I also think a part of that is that Marvel as a company didn't exist until the Silver Age, while DC existed in the Golden Age. And Superman is the longest running comic book character in existence. From 1938 on, there's always been a comic about Superman. Mm -hmm. No other character can say that. And like no other company can say that. That is staggering. And Superman went through various mediums um like the comic books radio shows tv shows movies anything that you can think of superman has done it like the superman symbol is recognized globally globally mm-hmm. that is astonishing it could call him the astonishing superman but then i think marvel would sue them <laughs> but yeah i mean superman is up there with sherlock holmes on recognizable throughout the world and so i felt this is important enough. Is there anything else you want to say about this before we move on? Nope. Oh, I think it's good. I think it's a good breakdown because that way it allow us going forward to say, oh, this feels very Bronze Age versus this feels very Silver Age. We'll have an actual context for that conversation. So we're going to talk about uh, Prime Earth Superman. Technically, maybe Earth 1 could be Earth 2 because one of the things that DC did is when they got ready to really try to start telling more coherent stories, they had these different these inconsistent set of histories for characters. So they would shunt other characters off into other universe, uh, other Earths. Most of the radio show characters, I think from back in the day were kind of put on Earth 2. They focused on Earth 1, then they got a bunch of Earths, and then they had a crisis where they kind of destroyed all the Earths and they tried to like meld all their plot lines into one. All that to say that this is fucking Superman and Superman's powers and scale are inconsistent. 
He yes. went from like a being able to jump buildings all the way up to being able to move planets and fly fast enough around them to go back in time to like spin the Earth around that goes back days to save Lois. Call out for us who made the movie. Right. So to to help just give a solid grounding point. I originally thought of doing sort of the, the John Byrne run of Superman where he reduced Superman's powers, but they weren't subs- to a more manageable rate, I think they're called. Mm-hmm. But rewatching Smallville, it made me realize that Smallville, if anything, would be closer to the Golden Age Superman with touches of modern Superman in it. Mm-hmm. Which for the Golden Age Superman, this is a rough estimate, is that he could probably lift around, I'd say, 30 to 50 tons. He had super speed. He could run as fast as an express train, which is back then was probably 70 to 100 miles per hour. He could leap a 20-story building, which is like an eighth of a mile. He was durable. Let like bullets kind of bounced off his skin. But if you hit him with a shell, it would definitely hurt him. Could kill him. And he had good senses. Like he'd see better and hear better. And eventually he picked up X-ray vision back then. But he didn't have heat vision. I don't think he had cold breath. And to give another idea of just of wacky Superman powers, in the Silver Age, Superman could shoot out a miniaturized Superman from his palm that had all of his superpowers. On yeah. So one of the things that, that changes from Gold Silver Age, actually good to touch back on this real quick. Golden Age writing was superheroes had whatever power was needed for the plot. And Superman's powers were literally just whatever was needed. Um, you see remnants of this in the Silver Age with like early Thor comics for Marvel. Because Thor was really their attempts to kind of combat with Superman. Um, that, was, that, was, that was Marvel's analog. Uh, trying to trying to compete in that market, um, but yeah, Superman has. If you take all appearances of Superman and say all those powers are canon, Superman has a ludicrous amount of powers. But really, yeah. most of them don't show up for more than an issue, and you see bits and pieces of that in Smallville for sure. Which goes back to originally, Superman's powers were supposed to because Earth had a lower gravity. Krypton had a greater gravity. So that's why all the powers were almost more physically debased for the things he could do. And then they tacked on things like sunlight gave him the powers or it enhanced his powers. Initially, sunlight was the reason for the powers because in earlier comics and strips, everyone on Krypton had those abilities. Right. So you could see like, I think in one comic strip, they had a building fall on his mom. They had Jarrell running super fast and all that sort of went away to be that Superman's powers come from the yellow sun. Remove the yellow sun, Superman depowers and becomes just a normal person. Uh, anything else about power? I could go on for a while about powers. Anything else about powers? <laughs> the only other thing I want to talk about, because I, I think you're dead on that this is closer to, to Superboy, because also uh, Superboy, oh boy. Uh, so as I understand it, Superman was a very popular comic, and so they wanted to do a spinoff and said, well, we'll do Superman's earlier adventures when he lived in Smallville, which so was a natural connection between the show Smallville and Superboy. But also, Superboy is fucking weird, right? Like, it is just a super weird comic. Like, he regularly would go into the future and has friends in the 30th century, and one in one issue, they actually come back to threatened to kill him, which was all a test to make sure that he was actually the heroic person they thought he was so that they could feel good about putting a statue up for him in the 30th century. And that's a pretty tame plot line for Superboy. <laughs> it's bonkers. And again, it, Smallville 
doesn't go that far, but certainly there's a point where it realizes its concept doesn't make much sense anymore. And they just keep pushing because why not? And so I think almost inadvertently it starts to emulate that, that deep weird of, of the core Superboy run. I, I was actively avoiding the Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> the Legion of Superheroes are a canon nightmare. <laughs> but they do have one of the greatest superheroes in all of existence. Do you know who I'm thinking? Have I Matter eating you? lad. Yes! Matter eating <laughs> lad! The greatest superpower in the world. I can eat stone. I can eat anything. That's it. I got no super strength. I got no invulnerability. I assume his jaw and intestines must be invulnerable to eat the rock and everything else. But then I would get into science. And that's more space opera. Yes. And also the Legion of Superheroes definitely comes from an era where people, you have a power. <laughs> this is your power. That is the thing you do. You're a lightning girl. You shoot lightning. That is what you do. But where Superboy has all of the powers. And that's one of the reasons why I love him is because like, you have more than one power. That's amazing. But yes, well, there, there's an intersection there's between... Ultra Boy. Oh, there's true. There's Ultra Boy. I admit... All the powers that I can use one at a time. Oh, that's right. Oh, God. Yeah, I admit Legion is one of my uh, areas I don't know a ton about for comics history. But every time I dip in, I'm like, what is going on? I have no idea. I, I may have read like a 40 issue run of it, but that's wow, just nice. people, things that I like to read and get into weirdness. But no, you're saying the show was, was, it was so incredibly successful that it had multiple spinoffs. There was like uh Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. There was like Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. And the lowest comic I want to say ran for a hundred plus issues. Yeah. And it was incredible. And, and, and Jimmy Olsen also ran for a long time and for a while was written by Jack Kirby. And again, got deeply weird. At points. <laughs> Hell yeah. No, I love it. All right. We've been babbling All about right, comics for half an hour. We haven't started the show yet. <laughs> let's, let, that, that just shows people how, how much we love this show. All right. Uh, season one, episode one, pilot. A teenage Clark Kent must learn how to harness his superhuman powers while growing up in Kansas. Clark tries to avoid being the victim of high school hazing ritual involving the football team. And we get our first glimpse of the meteor rock and how it empowers other people in town by the original victim of the hazing going on a killing spree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's it. And it's, it's it, it, honestly, everything you need to know about this show, you get in this one episode, which is, I mean, in a way, a great pilot, but also I don't think they could have interpreted that. Like the, Hazing involves someone being hung up by a scarecrow and they paint an S on his chest for, for Smallville, for, for the football team. Basically, it, it, it's their kind of quote-unquote sacrifice to get goods, you know, to, to, to win the game. And it's like, oh, look, a person with an S painted on their chest. Uh, you know, there's no way Clark's going to be hung up there with an S painted <laughs> on his chest. And absolutely, he was. You see the first instance of kryptonite being just everywhere, which, again evokes early Superman, right? Because when they realized kryptonite was the only weakness, writers used it all the time. And there was red kryptonite and yellow kryptonite and white kryptonite and gray kryptonite. And, and it, it got out of hand and it gets out of hand here. We also have a good look at why people thought this was going to be cheaper to make because we have, have the best CGI that 2001 can offer. And I'm... 
I am a more apologetic of older CGI than I think a lot of people are. Like I see it as charming, but again, I also like Doctor Who, so I think that's part of just my my viewing DNA of like I like ropey special effects. But certainly, there is a visual difference between the crashing alien ship from the sky and everything around it. It's really obvious that it's a special effect. That that is all true, but. <laughs> There is there there's a magic to that though, and I will go so far as to say I think that special effect was intentional to show you the alien nature of Clark crashing into the mundane world, changing it forever. That is a good justification for it was almost certainly a production decision. <laughs> Did you like how I didn't spoil her the whole thing too? That that, that was so yeah hard no part. like yeah you you were trying to make that serious. Yeah, like, I was like yeah, I almost bought that, but no. And so it's for all the thing, bad things I say about the show. I think that it was not ahead of its time, but it was on point at the time. And the fact that it had Clark Kent and Lex Luthor's story told in parallel of each other is why the show worked so well. It's also why I think the first season of Daredevil worked so well as you get Matt Murdock and Wilson Fisk's story told in parallel. And they're both right. equally important to the show. And you get to see those relationships and dynamics change. And it was, I even remember the first time seeing it, fun to see Lex and Clark try to be friends and keeping a secret from someone who is supposedly his friend and his friend knowing that he's keeping a secret. Right. And this is one of those things where the pop culture awareness you know, this is one of the reasons why sometimes great against spoiler culture is because the pop culture awareness of that relationship makes the show richer. Um, for example, uh, I feel like the Star Wars prequels um, are a little unfairly judged because part of the appeal of watching the prequels is knowing where Anakin's going to go. You know the end result of Anakin Skywalker. And this is some other thing. is like, you know that Lex Luthor is Superman's primary villain. Yes, it's ridiculous that the show has him as a kid become bald, and he's now bald for the rest of the show. It, it, it's a ridiculous conceit, but it's a signifier to the audience of this is Superman and Clark. This is Superman and Lex Luthor. They're going to fight. You know Luthor's going to become a villain. So they, them starting off as friends, each of those interactions where their friendships ch chafe you start to go, is this the time? Is this the moment? Is this, is this the time where they hate each other? So there's a lot of, of interesting tension there because the audience knows what's going to happen. And so they're projecting their expectations onto the show. So as much as, again, we, we, can, make, we can pick this apart and make fun of it, but the reality is Smallville does some really smart things of like, let's set some things up that they know are going to happen. And let's set some things up that don't sound right. Like, Lana Lang is Superman's girlfriend from Smallville. So they're going to constantly tease Clark's relationship with her a lot. And so they set up like, oh, they're going to be girlfriends, but initially they're not. And then spoilers for the rest of Smallville, but that it's, it's a constant will they, won't they, that goes on for a very long time, perhaps too long. So I think you can but, re you remove know, the word perhaps from your sentence. Fair enough. Okay. goes on way too long. But I mean, and to be fair, that's also probably the reason. Like, this is never meant to be a, a ten-season show. Is that the tension of will will Luther become Clark's villain? Doesn't 
tends to break down after a while. But at this moment, at this point, it's interesting. It's the, how does this resolve? Do we, is this the secret backstory of why Lex hates Superman so much? And it kind of is. So really, even things like, I'm not mad about things like the, the their, his parents, the Kents being younger, because it's kind of interesting to see what kind of crap his parents had to go through to keep this supernatural child's secrets. You know, it's really glossed over in Superman, but it's like, these are just simple farmers, and it turns out they're not simple farmers by any stretch of the imagination. It gets super weird. But the same idea of like the stuff they're willing to go through and the conversations that the Kents have with Clark to make shape into the person he is, is interesting. It's interesting to see Superman act in ways that we're not used to because he's a kid. He's a teenager. And if you have massive powers, why wouldn't you occasionally abuse them because you feel like you've been wronged? So there's a lot about this that is a really interesting, compelling thing, and it really only works if you have that massive cultural awareness of who Superman is. Like you could ask people who've never a comic book on the street and they'll know who Superman is. They probably know what Kryptonite is and they probably know Lex Luthor's name. That's just, that's not pop culture. That's just culture, frankly. And that, uh, in the same way that most people know who Moriarty is, even if they've never read a Sherlock Holmes story. You know, there's just certain things that have just e- you know, oozed into the cultural awareness. So this show works because it's playing off that cultural awareness so that people who aren't comic fans can watch this and go, oh, I still have an idea of what's going on. And they don't feel like they're a quote unquote nerd for watching a comic book show because it's not really a comic book show, at least to start. No, I want to say it's a show about family, almost from the jump mm-hmm. in the first episode and the dynamics of different types of families, which is why they have Lionel Luther is pretty much the ultimate villain for most of the first season. Yeah. And it, and you can see the relationship that he builds with Lex from the start, trying to shape Lex in his own image, but yet not have Lex be greater than he is. Right. And so you keep getting that. And his, the Luther influence is so prevalent that even the Kents who are supposedly like, our way into the show don't like them. Like the people who are supposedly that love everyone, they care about everyone, they do everything they can to help people actively hate and despise these people. So mm-hmm. that is like a quick way for us to say, well, we don't like them either. And you get to watch that battle that Lex has trying to befriend them and trying to be a good person, but is constantly rebuffed. For me, in retrospect, I was thinking like if the Kents had ever been nicer to Lex or if Clark had shown Lex who he was after a couple of episodes in a different show, would that have changed Lex into not becoming the villain? Right. And even the setup for this, again, uh, we talk about how it goes on too long, but if you look at this from idea, this will last for a few seasons and be done. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. It's like, okay, his ship landed but it came with other meteors, the, the meteor storm. And then it, all this, the weird superpower stuff ultimately, at least initially from the seasons, comes from something weird happened when your ship landed. And now we're seeing all the consequences of that. So there's actually an explanation why there's a high density of superhero stuff happening in Smallville because of the meteor storm. You know, why is there so much kryptonite around? Because it came down with the ship and it got scattered throughout the area. And also there's a little bit of 
why people are occasionally weird and why people don't notice it for a long time is because it's a small town. And if Twin Peaks has taught us anything is that small towns have deeply weird stuff in it, you know? So there, there's a lot that actually works really well. And I could see where there's actually some strong planning of here's a whole bunch of concepts that we can ride for easily 30, 40, 50 episodes. And while I've given it a lot of praise, I do have, I'm going to give a little ding now, is the representation of people of color in the show in general. And I know people say, well, they person of color? <laughs> I, I, I said first, I said people specifically <laughs> to come back to the fact there is just Pete, and I think as in the three episodes we watch, one other person of color shows up. And yeah. Pete is not given a real personality. He is the best friend, but he is the best friend that's not even written well for a best friend role. And yeah. I think by the second or third season, he's just gone. Poof. Completely out of the show. Oh, geez. And okay. I know that they actually race flipped Pete Ross because Pete Ross is from Smallville. And since you mentioned the Legion of Superheroes, in the comics, Pete sees Clark change in Superman and saves people and then doesn't tell Clark that he knows he's Superman, but creates reasons why Clark is never around helping him out. And right. the Legion of Superheroes knows that Pete knows and they come back and they has a shenanigans with them and they say, we will let you keep your knowledge because we know that one day your knowledge will save Superman. And the Legion disappears. And I think Pete even has a Legion flight ring. Oh my God, everyone so, has a Legion flight ring. It, it is a character that's not super important, but has a little weight behind him that's associated with small with Superboy, and that is not at all reflected in this. Like zilch, right? And, and also, the one thing that the Arrowverse draws from this that I, I have issue with is that. This establishes 20 years of DC shows, which are basically boiled down to pretty white people have problems with each other. Yeah. I mean, and really that's a lot of the shows we're going to see for the next while here. That's the CW formula, frankly. And it works for them, obviously, so they're going to keep doing it. But, and, and I will say that later Arrowverse gets better about their inclusivity, but... It, it's coming from a bit of a place to dwell here in that regard. And it takes a while to, to shift that perception. As, as folks can tell, there's literally nothing about the villain of the episode that's worth really going into. It was the first victim that was up on the cross, doesn't age, gets like electrical powers and goes around killing people. It, it is a, right. a static formula that you're going to see throughout pretty much all of first season. I think most of second season as it, a, I think they dubbed it back then a freak of the week show, yeah. which is to the show's detriment. Because again, they were emulating Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and that but was the goal. Like, time, here's here's this week's babe bad. But at the same time, Buffy had a reoccurring underlying plot where things sort of linked and moved on together. Like I think the first season of Buffy was a master. Yep, master first season. Yeah, the master first I, season. Angel H the second, the mayor, who I still think is one of the greatest supervillains in the world, was third season. No, I completely agree, but I can see why the writers thought that they had that equivalence and say, oh, well, it's Lex Luthor. But the problem is, if the answer is always Lex Luthor, and Lex Luthor isn't really the Lex Luthor plot is 
does not tie these things together. It's happening at the same time as these things. Whereas what you're talking about Buffy is each of these weekly episodic shows turns out to be part of a larger plot. In this case, at least in this first season, it's just random weird stuff that's happening in Smallville that gives context to the bromance of Clark and Lex. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the pilot before we move on? No, I think, I think we're good. Season one, episode six, Hourglass. An older woman grants Clark a glimpse of his future, while Lex takes advantage of the seer's gift to learn more about his friend's secret. Meanwhile, a bitter old man is rejuvenated by a fountain of youth after he falls into the pond nearly drowning, only to be electrified by meteor rocks. And he goes on a killing spree. Right. And remember what I said a few minutes ago about how episode one is great premise and setup and how they can cool explain things six episodes and it's already just gone completely off the rails. You know, <laughs> it's the, and so uh, uh, the meteor can allow people to see the future. And also a guy can go back to his normal ways, but he doesn't, he still thinks he's living in the thirties and he's going to murder people because he's mad about his girlfriend. And it's like, what, what show are you writing now? It's, 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 and like the fact is that like a lot of this is we're going to tease stuff that we know is going to happen to Superman in the future. Right. And while that's interesting from an Easter egg perspective, it would have been better suited to say, okay, can you tell us the future of what this show is going to be? You know, tell, tell me future events that, that, that matter to this show, not you're eventually going to save the world. And you know, your, your, your friend is going to become your enemy. And it's like, well, we know all of that. We as the audience know that. So you told us nothing new, this whole setup of the woman can see the future, which side note does not tie into the serial killer plot at all, except for a very minor bit. They're both just in a retirement home. Okay. Sure. Right. That, that's all. That's literally all you've got. It, it's there's the, the episode starts with literally Clark and Lana showing up at the serial home and then Clark going to the A plot and Lana going to the B plot. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> and that's pretty much where they, 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 they more or less stay. There's some, but I mean, there's some interesting stuff in the sense of, from a structural standpoint, I kind of like, like, let's take this weird moment and use that as a way to re-examine Clark and re-examine Lex. Um, there's some interesting character beats with Lex actually going, I don't want to know, Mike. I don't want to know. Um, I, I want to be the better person. And then he's got to do it. it, it it's a neat little thing. Like for most of the episode, you're going, oh, Lex is a pretty good guy. And then he goes, uh, maybe just a quick peek. And you're like, okay. <laughs> so it, it's, a, it's a nice little moment of, you can see how Lex is taking those small steps towards becoming a bad person. So I, I, I dug that. And I Doug Clark having questions about like, you know, should I know this? And how does my power, you know, it starts a question about his role in the universe and what he should and should be doing with himself. Like there's all some interesting conversations here. It's just that everything around it is such nonsense. Yeah. I'm not going to at all secure that, but one of the things it does do is that it shows Clark's powers are slowly enhancing over the course of the first season. That's and true. that is a nice touch again, and which goes back to sort of a mixing of the original Golden Age Superman and some of the elements I want to say from the Burn Run, where he gets powered by the sun more, and you mm -hmm. can be sort of getting along those lines, and that is a good progression. But 
the entire episode is almost completely fluff. And I don't know if that's because it's trying to lean more into the teen drama. And I, I would say, my friend, that we, we are gentlemen of a certain age, and that is not targeted for our demographic. And even I think when I, I first saw the show, I was a little older than the demographic even then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was never... I, I, I saw the occasional episode on Smallville online, and to its credit... It was trying to be a syndicated show, so you can watch those episodes in relative isolation and still follow along. It's not as entwined soap opera, although it absolutely gets there later. Don't get me wrong. Um, but the early shows, like you, you can watch them in isolation and, and have a good time. But you're right. This is all context for the emotional relationships. And so when I'm saying this stuff is nonsense – I'm saying with the idea that the writers kind of also recognize that it's nonsense. Which again, goes back to that kind of golden slash silver age vibe, right? Of like, oh yeah, this guy gets powers for falling into a pond because reasons. And then they just don't bother to explain and move the hell on. And there's a certain respect I have for that. It's like, yes, no, this is going to be a silly goddamn show, but you're here for the character relationships. And so someone coming in who's like, no, I really do want to follow the superheroic side of things. It, it, it's easy for people like us to kind of bounce off. It's like, but you're not treating the stuff, the stuff that I like with respect. But if it's the, this is ultimately a teen drama that uses supernatural powers as a context for the, the heightened melodrama, then it absolutely is doing its job. And it doesn't matter why the guy falls into a pond and gets superpowers. It matters the fact that he is he's going after women in the town and how the other characters realize that danger and react to that matters more. So it, it has its priorities in the right place in terms of what it wants to do. It's just when you're looking at it like this case in isolation, it's kind of, I feel like as you're watching, you either have to kind of just ignore these conceits and just go, okay, yes, this is the reason we're doing this now and move on. Or, be mad about that and realize that you're going to always be mad about that because the show's not going to stop doing that. Yes. And so the, it had the usual beats of someone that sort of de-ages and they don't know the, the local jargon as he goes to the restaurant where all the, where all the youths stay. And he asks for a very specific, like older, what we're going to make a genericized old person's terms and words for thing that he does. And everyone right. sort of thinks he's a little weird or that they think it's cute. And it was a staple then and it is even more so a staple now. And it's tired. It is. I mean, there's just steps is also, you're right, chock full of ageism. But it, honestly, I mean, just looking for a structural standpoint, I, I think it did a good job. But also, I think there's just old, uh, too many plots happening here to a certain degree. I feel like the old woman seeing the future is an entire episode by itself. The old man who comes back in time could have been a cool episode. There's just, I don't think there was enough. It frankly feels like two, two strips or commissions. Neither of them felt like they were strong enough. And so they just got mashed together. I, I've seen this in television before. I, I know enough about production. This occasionally happens where it's like, okay, let's just kind of throw these together. And usually the decisions are made pretty close to shooting time. So it's like, okay, sure. We'll just, literally take these pages, shuffle them around, write some stitching dialogue, boom. Um, it definitely feels like that's probably what happened here. But again, I, I could see why they're doing it. It's just that in this case, 
the emotional arcs that each side are having aren't connecting to each other. Like if there had been an interesting part of like uh, this old man goes back, you know, becomes younger, but also someone that Clark, oh, that's what I'll say. Someone Clark cares about is 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 too old. So like so I, you kind of see that a bit in, and he starts to care for this woman before she dies, but they never actually do the what if she also had the ability to become younger? They, they, there, there's a, a a beat missing there that would have kind of helped sync that up a bit more. Lex learning a secret could have been tied better to this serial killer secret thing. Like, okay, there, there's a, there's another resonance that almost is connecting, but they don't actually tie the thread closed. Um, so it's, 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 it's just a bit, there's structurally some good stuff here, but it's really just two episodes jammed together. Do you have any other thoughts about hourglass? No, I think we can move on to Tempest. Season one, episode 21, Tempest. As Clark comes over, as Clark comes ever closer to making his first discovery about his origins, a tornado approaches Smallville. Meanwhile, a reporter hired by Lex is about to discover Clark's supernatural abilities. And the reason I chose this episode is that it ends the first season, but it is sort of one of Lex's last gasp to still be a good person. Mm -hmm. And it ends on a cliffhanger note. We're not sure what he is going to do in that situation. More so right. for Lex than I chose for Clark. Right. So I want to take you on a quick emotional journey of me watching these three episodes. I watched episode one and I'm like, okay, this is interesting, but we'll see where it goes. I watched episode six and I was like, why the hell is Chris making me watch this damn show? And then I watched episode 21 and I was like, why the hell do I actually care about these characters now? <laughs> because like there's this, this tornado coming and Lex is mad at his dad. And I'm like, yeah, screw it. I hate your dad too. And then Clark's figuring out which girl he wants to go with the dance. And I'm like, I actually care about this. Yes, you should be with Chloe. <laughs> and why am I thinking this now? But it's true. They, they got me, man. On this, For some reason, this episode, I was like, I'm actually into this weird teen drama stuff. Don't even know why entirely. Because it was, it was, it, I was like kind of annoyed by it the first couple of episodes and then i was like i actually care about this like i i felt like clark and chloe actually had way more chemistry than lana and clark ever did in these episodes so that's when you said that about the actor i'm like oh that's really awkward because I, I was genuinely engaged in that performance and i thought this is actually i liked seeing them together on the screen and, and i was like that that's, that's, I, I shouldn't, I, sh this would be stuff I should not like. And yet I was, I was really into it. I think part of it is because this was structured a little better, right? Like Clark's having a good day. And so a lot of that is, is Clark has a good day is really a story. And then all of the support cast around him are having terrible days. <laughs> and and it, so it's a nice kind of resonance of like, for once Clark is having a good day and then everything else goes bad. And then we end on the cliffhanger of Clark's, Good day starts to spiral into everybody else's bad days with the tornado. Huh? Spiral. See what I did there? And we, we have the cliffhanger of not only what Lex is going to do with the information, but also the reporter has discovered the ship and also Clark is is dealing with the, the three tornadoes uh, that have showed up in Kansas. So it's... I can see... Why, at the end of this, I was like, I can see why people were hooked on this show, to be honest. <laughs> So I, I, I'm right there with you because 
almost from the from day one of watching, I liked Chloe, and I wanted the Chloe and Clark thing to work and happen. Mm-hmm. And Lana was it; their chemistry never seemed to like connect for me. Yep. And so when I got to the prom episode way back when, even now, I was like, "Look at those kids! Oh, mm-hmm. they're so yeah. cute." And that was, but then I also know Allison Mack's story now, and it's kind of like, Ugh. but right. We also get another view of Clark's powers have increased it again, where he survives the truck exploding mm-hmm. by like the journalist who just would blow up a kid to get a story. Well, I hope it doesn't kill him. I think it won't. Boom. <laughs> And he, he yeah. walks out unscathed, showing you how quickly they are ramping up his powers in this season. Although, I was really waiting for you to say, since you hadn't seen Smallville before, if you're curious, if the movie had taken a beat from Smallville and Jonathan Kent was going to go into that tornado and say, Clark, don't come after me. Don't do it, Clark. Don't save me because no one can see that it's really you coming to save me and I can live on in this movie. But stop where you're at. Well, no, because I assume every other version actually allows him to live because that would be a smart move. <laughs> but also, I mean, again, like the, the, the like the when you get to the three tornadoes, because let's be honest, it's you're living in Kansas. Tornadoes are going to happen. Wizard of Oz tells us that tornadoes happen like, once every other day in Kansas, right? And there are three of them. It's even more exciting. And there's such obvious CGI tornadoes, and like the the driving scenes with Lana, it's like she's clearly on the set. But like again. To me, that was a point in its favor, right? It's like you're not pretending. You know exactly what you're making, and you're just doing it with as much heart as possible. And I think that's where it comes down to is like this is the first time in the show where I saw some actual heart in the show, and I was like, okay, you're not making the show I wanted, but you're making a good show, and and I have to respect that. Because regardless of anything, all the joking aside, Allison Mack and Michael Rosenbaum are doing great acting. Tom Welling is better than he was in the first episode. Yes. And everyone else is sort of like riding on their coattails. To get, well, I, I take that back. Uh, Annette O'Toole and Bo Duke are, oh, are yes. top notch, top tier. And like that makes like the heart of the show is like it beats, it works, and it gets you engaged with it. And you care about those people. And if they care about the other people, then you don't want them to be sad. Right. But I will tell you, season two, episode one, Helen Hunt, Bill Paxton, show up and take care of the tornado. What? What? All right. I'm waiting for no, it. I'm, I'm waiting for it. At first, I, I was like, lying. Oh. I could, it could be a Chris joke. I, uh, I'm assuming it's true just because it sounds like nonsense <laughs> to show with Paul. I mean, this is the same show that basically had the Legion of Superheroes, but Kent, Clark Kent was still on Superman yet. So <laughs> why and not? As we're giving spoilers, and if you don't want to know Smallville spoilers, then you should probably stop listening now. But when you mentioned Stargate, it did make remember that Michael Shanks shows up as Hawkman in this later on. Right. I, I do remember that vaguely. And there's and, a nod to the Justice Society. And doesn't Bruce Wayne show up as well? No. At one point? No, they can't get Batman. They get Oliver Queen, Green Arrow. Oh, right, 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 right. Because that was a problem with Arrow is that the Batman TV rights were tied up because of the 60s Batman show and blah, 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 blah. Right. And I want to say this time they were still trying to figure out another Batman movie. So they can't have Batman. Like, we're right. making a movie. Your TV show cannot have Batman. That's true. The, 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 the 
licensing rights with DC are, are I won't say deeply weird because Marvel is an Ouroboros of rights, but certainly there's, there's some odd decisions. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, I mean, we, we've been kind of bouncing back and forth on this. And as a superhero show, which is ostensibly the reason we're looking at this, it's, it's a bit mad, to be honest. But recognizing that that's not what the show is trying to be. It's trying to be teen drama with an interesting edge to it. And the fact that I came in skeptical of that, and by this episode, I was like, into it. I, I had bought into the Lex Luthor-Clark Kent relationship, right? I This is back to episode six, but I liked the conversation he had around Luke's Alexa's damaged car. Yeah, and it's like, why do you keep this? And Lex talking about it, and it's like I can see the supervillain seeds happening, but it's all in the context of a person who's genuinely trying to be a good friend. It's like you're right; the the actors really carried it, and the actors carried it in the ways that the show needed it to carry, which is the emotional drama. And so, yes, it's okay if the superheroics and the special effects are a bit ropey because that's not where the focus of the show is. If the show, we, there are other superhero shows around this time period that tried to be good superhero shows and they couldn't deliver on those fronts. And so the show fails because it had nothing else to hang on. This absolutely had good character writing to hang on. And so it didn't matter as much as you had a guy from a wheelchair fall into a fountain and become a serial killer from the 30s. Whatever. I didn't <laughs> care, you know? I mean, I did care. But by this point, it's like, sure, there are three tornadoes that have hit that apparently are actively targeting the lanes because whatever, but I don't care at that point. It's like, okay, but, but what happened to her? What about her boyfriend? That's not her boyfriend. Is she going to go with Clark or the guy who's going to go into the military? I, I want to know. And it, it, it shouldn't work that way, but it absolutely does. So, um, so no one calls us out on this. Just to, you do know that Michael Rosenbaum voices the flash in the justice league animated series, right? No. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. There you go, people. A little electric tidbit for you. And if people want even more, the guy, the guy that plays Whitney, I think, leaves us to go off to star in the sci-fi channel show Flash Gordon. I did not even know that existed. I'm surprised I didn't know that existed, but I didn't know that You're existed. You're better off not knowing that existed. Well, I mean, it's a sci-fi original, it was, so that kind of tells me everything I need to know, but... Yeah. Yeah. There you go, folks. Or I could also say that Kristen Kurt goes off and is Chun Li for a movie. I, I I am full of useless knowledge. Lana Lang is Chun Li for a movie. I didn't know that, but that connects. I think I've seen that movie, and that that makes sense to me. That's when they tried to make Chun Li a gritty sort of like covert operative, right? Without cause... her super kicks, right? We could do a whole season of Street Fighter media adaptations, frankly, because there's been a lot of them. They're all different. I think I'd want to do Final Fight, though, the animated movie for her to do that. <sighs> or or even the Mortal Kombat ones, because, again, that's been all over the place. Fighting, True. there we go. Fighting game-based media. That's an entire season. <laughs> <laughs> Super, Sm Super Smash Brothers. Let's do it. Oh, yeah, man. That's, whew, that is a choice that could be made. So people can tell that we obviously love Smallville because we have stayed on topic and on point about this. Even Eddie 
has been on topic and on point about this and not going off the tangents with me. Well, I mean, what I will say in closure is I respect Smallville more than I thought I would, right? I, I went into this like, okay, no, we got to check this box. I get it. And I was like, I'm going to enjoy the goofy weirdness of it. And I didn't. But again, I, I came away liking the show a lot more than I thought I would. I probably will never watch another episode, but if someone threw it on, I wouldn't be like mad about it anymore. And I can see now why people were really invested in this in the time. Um, I, I think there's a lot of ways where it hasn't aged well, but I can't be mad for what it was trying to do. And I respect what it tried to execute on. I, I am in much the same boat. I, I, I have fond memories of the show watching it the first time around, even with the bad points. But I also remember being super happy when they finally introduced Lois. And mm-hmm. when they took a few nods towards being a real superhero show. And yeah. it was great to have something that was superhero related at that point in time. If if folks are curious what we're going to do next, Iron Fist. Stop trying to make Iron callback. Fist happen, Chris. <laughs> Got to do the callback. It's, it's all, if I keep doing it every three times, it's funny. That's what I've, that's what I've read. That is not how humor works. <laughs> I just keep repeating it. Eventually, they'll find it funny. No, that's not all how it works. So instead, uh, we're going to go back even further to the darker days of superhero media. And we're going to look at the 1990 Flash show. It only lasted for one season. Um, but not only does it tie into the larger Arrowverse in a very surprising way, but also, it is a really good look at the cultural impact that the Batman 89 movie had and how it really shaped how DC Media progressed from that point on. Um, so we're going to start. We're going to skip the pilot because it's an hour and a half and it doesn't tell you anything you already need to know. You'll get the, get the gist of the pilot in the intro to the show. So we're just going to skip it. So we're going to instead go to episode six, Sins of the Father. Episode nine, Ghost in the Machine, which I picked specifically for you, Chris. And episode 12, The Trickster. If people are curious where they can watch this, where can they find this show? Uh, you can find it on Tubi. Is the only place that's actually streaming it right now. But uh, TubiTV.com does actually have this version of The Flash. I am super excited for it. And if folks are curious why I put it second in the list, it amuses me to think that The Flash runs through time. So we went Smallville, so we had to run back in time to do the Flash, <laughs> and then to go back forwards. It's a joke just for me that Eddie just heard me say out loud. It is probably saying, why do I let Chris arrange these shows? Well, I, I, at first I was like, why am I doing the Flash? Okay, but I, I have started watching it, and it's it's got some charm I did not expect. So uh, I'm actually looking forward to talking about this one. Awesome. If folks are looking for you... Outline. Where can they find you? Um, I have run backwards in time, and I'm now on MySpace. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you can find me uh, all my social media stuff at pugsteady.com. It's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. You can find me on the Dark Q Discord, making fun of Chris, or generally you can see me hanging around trying to get some work done, but not really. And if folks are looking for me, you can find me on the social medias at darker underscore hue or darker hue. And in the Dark Cube Discord is probably your safest bet. All right. And so next time we'll see you for the flash. Peace.